Uh, but let's get to the Word of God together. It's always a privilege to preach. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, I've decided just to continue in our series with uh, Beatitudes, so let's just get through them together. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. The Word of God reads, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we can worship together like this. We know that the church really is all about your people just worshiping you together. And we, it doesn't matter if we're in the same building. It doesn't matter if we're connected on the internet. Father, we know that on this day, so many of your people love worshiping you. And we're doing everything that we can to give you the glory that you deserve. So Spirit of God, we pray that you'll just open up our hearts. Help us not only just to hear, but Lord, to be transformed by your word, so that we could live for you and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and being. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there's a common saying uh, which says, you are what you eat. Have you guys ever heard that before? Uh, it's so true. It really is. I remember a few months after my wife and I came back for our, from our honeymoon, someone gave us a deep fryer, you know, for, uh, as a gift. And I swear, it was one of the greatest things that we ever received. And, you know, we were so excited. You know, we started frying up everything that we could. Chips, you know, nuggets, dumplings, whatever it was, we fried it. And the things that you weren't supposed to fry, we fried those things anyway, right? Have you ever fried kimchi or anything? It's amazing. It really is. And so we're eating and it's just absolutely wonderful. I remember I turned to my wife and I said, does everything that's deep fried just taste better? And she was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And it's true. Uh, I really believe that Deep fried foods will be the staple food of heaven. You know, that's what we're going to get instead of rice. Anyway, uh, you know, it's amazing because for the next two weeks, we basically fried every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and frying those meals absolutely transformed our lives. We became fatter. You know, we became slower. We slept a lot more. You know, we grew pimples in places where we didn't know you could grow pimples. Uh, we were sweating profusely all the time for no reason. It transformed our lives. But the worst side effect that we experienced was that uh, it turned off our taste buds for anything else besides fried foods, right? What we ate was profoundly affecting us in every single way. And if you are what you eat, then we were simply a pair of uh, deep fried wedges, blanketed in like sour cream and sweet chili sauce. So good. Anyway, uh, you know, physical trainers, athletes, uh, dietitians, they're all going to tell you the exact same thing. You are what you eat. But the thing is, as true as that may be in the physical realm, it is so much more true in the spiritual realm, right? What we consume every single day, it fills us and it affects us in every single way. And if we're used to filling ourselves with things like violence or entertainment, erotica, materialism, then we will eventually personify all of those things. And especially these days, right? Especially with social media, I've witnessed so many Christians who've become so consumed with themselves. And if we let those things take a hold of us, we become its victims. Just go online, you know, go to any like newspaper webpage and you'll see there's always some, there's always some celebrity you know, always trying to hit the front page because they're addicted to something. They're doing something crazy, so they'll always be in the limelight. You know, athletes are always trying to become the best that they can be, so they're always taking performance-enhancing drugs. I read this one article 
about 10 years ago, and it basically said that there's all these millionaires who are declaring bankruptcy because they're trying to keep up their lifestyle of being so rich. All these guys are victims of their appetites, and they're realizing this very common principle in the hardest way. We are what we eat. You know, in our beatitude today from Matthew 5, 6, Jesus is teaching us that what we eat, you know, Jesus is teaching us what to eat if we want to remain poor in spirit, if we want to continue to be mournful over us and be amazed by God, and if we want to continue to be one who is meek. He's defining the appetite and the diet that brings continual spiritual health and satisfaction to our lives. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, let's talk about some of the vocabulary for a moment. Let's go through some of the vocabulary together. Let's begin with the word righteousness. You know, at first reading, when you read this word righteousness, it would seem as if Jesus is talking about the righteousness that he gives us on the cross when we put our faith in him that declares us holy. But actually, that's not the case here. It's actually a different Greek word that Jesus is using to describe righteousness. And this particular word that he's using means living in conformity to God's will. So if we were to say it over again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst to live out God's character, to live out God's will in their lives. That's what a meek person does, right? And that's what he's describing here. And that's what the word righteousness means. Now the word hunger and thirst, you would think, oh, that's really easy because those definitions are very easy. But what you have to realize is 2,000 years ago, back in Jesus's day, they rarely used those words like hunger and thirst. And the times that they would use those words were times when people were literally starving or literally dehydrated, completely dehydrated. So when Christ says this phrase, he's really saying something like this. He's saying, blessed are those who are completely starving for, or blessed are those who are completely parched to live out God's character and will in their lives and into this world. And so what Jesus is doing is that he's painting a picture of a person who is literally dying. Someone who cannot go another step unless he has more of God's righteousness in his life. And what Jesus is saying is that he wants our lives to be defined by this radical hunger. You know, there's a story of a young man who came to Socrates and he wanted knowledge. He was hungry for knowledge. So he goes up to Socrates and he says, oh, great philosopher, will you give me your knowledge? And he says, oh, you want to learn that? Okay, follow me. And so this young man follows Socrates to the ocean shore. And Socrates then you know, proceeds to grab him and he just shoves him underneath the water and keeps him there until he stops moving. And the moment that he does, uh, he pulls him out of the water uh, while this boy is gasping for you know, breath. And then he just leaves him on the beach, and goes back to the market. When the boy recovers, he goes back to Socrates, and he says, hey, I don't understand, great philosopher. Why did you just basically almost drown me? And Socrates turns to this young man, and he says, hey, when I kept you underneath the water, what did you want the most? And he said, air. And he said, when you hunger for knowledge, and when you crave knowledge just as much as you craved air, then you won't need me or anyone else to teach it to you. And what he was describing was a radical hunger. And in the same way, what Christ is saying in our passage today is that if you are a Christian, then you must be characterized by that same type of hunger, that same type of craving, that same type of thirst for God's righteousness in your life, as if it was your last breath on earth. Christianity can't be, nor was it ever meant to be a casual pursuit 
but we were meant to pursue Christ with everything that we have. And when you do, this verse says that that is when you will be filled. So one last word. Now this word filled here in this passage was commonly used back in Jesus' day to describe animals. When you feed animals to the point where they didn't want to eat anymore. Or maybe to the point where they were completely satisfied. And I really love that definition. I really think that's the best definition. To be completely satisfied. And so when we hunger and thirst for God so that we can live out His will in our lives more than anything else, that is when we will be completely satisfied. And that phrase, completely satisfied, means that there will be no other experience. There is no other experience. There is no other knowledge. There is no other religion. There is no other pursuit in this world that will satisfy you and fulfill you more than God. The satisfaction that we get from living out God's righteousness will far eclipse everything or anything that we can imagine or even think of here on earth. And I think this is where this beatitude comes into play very profoundly, especially for Christians in our day and age. You know, I think all of us Christians, we totally get what God's saying. We probably heard it a thousand times at church, that there is no one and there is nothing in this world that can fulfill us or satisfy us like God and living for God, right? We've heard that 10,000 times at church from our pastors, from our Christian friends. We've heard it all the time. But if that's true, then why is it then that when we look at some Christians around us, that uh, there are Christians out there who seem to still be dissatisfied with their lives, who are still unsatisfied or unfulfilled when it comes to their lives. And this is what I mean. You know, there's a lot of uni students who go around saying, oh, man, if I can just get into that program, if I just get that job, then uh, you know, I'll be set. You know, there are like workers who are like, oh man, if I just get that promotion, if I could just get that car, you know, make enough to get that car or, you know, more recognition, then I'll become someone even more significant in this world. There's a lot of singles who think, man, if I could just get married. There's a lot of married people who think, oh man, if I could just have a baby or if I can get that house, if we could just own a house of our own or if we can make more money or whatever it is, then we'll feel more complete. There are people who spend all day on Instagram or social media thinking, man, if I can just take a better selfie of myself or if I can just take a better picture of this dinner that I'm eating that no one actually really cares about, you know, then I'll become more popular or people will actually think something different of me. And the thing is, even though we have so many things within our lives, we always seem to focus on what we don't have. And even though we have Christ, we still find ourselves in constant pursuit of other experiences and other opportunities that we believe will make us more or will make us feel better or will make us feel more complete within our lives. And I'm no different, you know, I'm there too. You know, a few weeks ago I bought a pair of new sneakers and you know, my wife doesn't let me buy a pair of sneakers very frequently, but the line I used on her to allow her to make me buy these sneakers was, I said, hey honey, if you look at the reviews, uh, basically all the reviews say that these sneakers will literally change and transform your life. You know, so I think we should try it out. And she's like, okay, fine, you can get it. So, you know, win. And, and we bought, I bought it, and they are actually really amazing. These, these shoes are really, really amazing. But then just this past week, just about two days ago, she caught me on the internet uh, shopping for another pair of shoes. And she's like, why are you, you know, in the market for buying another pair of shoes? I thought those shoes were the be-all, end-all. I thought they transformed your life. Uh, but obviously, Eddie, I guess they weren't enough, were they? And I was like, yeah, I guess they weren't, <laughs> you know? You know, many theologians believe that this need to continually engage in new activities, this need and this drive to continually uh, engage in deeper satis 
satisfying activities. This need or this desire to have more in our lives simply proves over and over again this spiritual truth I think that we often forget. And that spiritual truth is this. We were never created to be satisfied by anything in this world. You know, things like money, fame, success, relationships, possessions, they will never satisfy because they'll never satisfy us because they were never designed to. We were designed and created in such a way that only God can satisfy us completely. And Jesus in this verse is teaching us that it is only when we truly surrender ourselves to this spiritual blueprint and begin living our lives in a way that God created us to be and saved us to be, that is when we will be completely satisfied within our lives. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, great, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm experiencing God in that way. If so, that's awesome. Continue to do so. Continue to get deeper with God. But if maybe if you're there sitting in front of your computer and you're thinking, man, I think I'm one of those unsatisfied Christians. I'm always thinking about what more I can buy or I'm always thinking about what I don't have. Then can I suggest something to you? Uh, please don't like make yourself feel guilty or condemn yourself too harshly. That's a very good Korean thing to do, but that's a very bad Christian thing to do. But I want you to know this, and I want you to, to tell yourself this over and over again, and this is something that I've learned how to do over many, many years. Um, please tell yourself this and convince yourself of this. Whenever you experience that feeling of dissatisfaction in your life, whenever you find yourself pursuing things other than God's righteousness within your life. Know that that feeling of dissatisfaction really is the direct work of the Holy Spirit calling you back to God. It really is. God loves making us feel dissatisfied by all these things of this world so that we can be reminded that we weren't meant to live for those things in the first place. Right? And so that we could channel all of our energy, all of our thoughts, all of our prayers, and everything that we have upon Christ and his righteousness alone. Because that's what we were created for. I really believe, you do this verse especially, that God is calling a lot of us back to him. You know, he really wants us. And that's really the good news behind this verse, isn't it? You know, if you kind of read between the lines in this verse, Jesus is saying that we can and that we were meant to actually be satisfied completely by Christ alone. That's our design. That's our blueprint. That's our DNA. And what's even greater is that this verse is telling us that God is waiting. And God is looking for. God is seeking out those people who literally want to live. Who are hungry to live for his glory. And he is waiting and wanting and eager to bless those people. But the thing is, if we want that, then we gotta get past this idea that Christ is just the guy I believe in in order to get saved, right? He has to become our Lord. He has to be the person that we now truly live for with all that we have. And the moment that you do, you'll understand exactly what Jesus is talking about in this verse, how amazing it truly is to be filled by God himself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's one more thing I want you to know about this verse, and that's actually when you start living out this verse, and I feel like I'm 
I'm like an infomercial saying, hey, but wait, there's more. But there is. <laughs> but, uh, you know what it is? You know what's really funny is, you know, when you are hungry for God and you start living out, you start living your life for God, God fills you and you become completely satisfied with Christ. But what happens when you become completely satisfied with Christ and every single person who, who lives for Christ can testify to this, all of a sudden you get more hungry for God. Right? I don't know how it is that being satisfied by God can actually create a greater hunger for God, but it does. And, you know, it doesn't take a very spiritual person to realize this because we've all experienced something like this at one time or another within our lives. You know, I am, I, there's one thing I don't really love in this world, it's chocolate, but there are times in this life that I just want chocolate. And I don't want, I don't like want like the normal chocolate for some reason. I love, uh, what are those called? Those, those double, double coated Tim Tams. They're not the single coated Tim Tams, right? James is going crazy. I, you know, not the, not the single coated because those suck. But the double-coated ones, those are the only good ones out there. And I remember one time I really wanted them, and so I got in my car. I literally got in my car, drove to Woolies, and I bought one of the double-coated Tim Tam things. And I brought it home, and I opened it, and I had one. And I was like, oh, yes. And I was actually very, very satisfied because I don't eat a lot of chocolate, but I was so happy. And I sat down and watched the footy. Ten minutes later into the game, I wanted another one. You know, as satisfying as it was, I wanted another one. Uh, fast forward, when the game was over, I had about nine, you know, why was that? Because as satisfying as each one was, it actually created a hunger for more. You wanted more of the good stuff. And I think the spiritual life is the same. The more you live for God and the more you're filled by him, the hungrier you actually become. And as your hunger increases again, so does his filling for you. And as you continue experiencing that in your life, instead of wanting more things, instead of wanting more success or more fame or these things that we seem to go for in this life, the things that you actually begin wanting are things like his kingdom and his glory. You'll want his righteousness more within your heart, within your mind, and you'll start dreaming about how his glory can become greater in your life. And that's what happens, and that's really, really amazing. And that's why Jesus says that it's this guy that is so blessed. It's this guy that God loves having his joyful approval over because his whole life and his whole being is about having more of God in him so that this world can receive more of God through him, you know? And not only is that what God wants, but truthfully, that's what this world really, really needs. People who are so completely in love with God that they overflow, they shine his beauty and his character uh, in every arena that they touch. Love God with all that you have so that you can love your neighbor like God. Right? It is absolutely essential. So to sum it up, every single time God finds a person whose greatest desire is him, every single time God finds a person who is hungering and thirsting to live out his will in his life, every single time God finds a person who's willing to do whatever it takes to shine God more brightly through himself, God fills that person in such a way that not only is he completely satisfied, but he becomes perpetually even more hungry to spread God's glory all over this earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst, who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, for they will be filled over and over and over again. That is our verse for today. So the question I want you to ask yourself as you're listening to this is this. Am I truly starving for God? Am I truly thirsty for his righteousness in my life? And if you are, once again, if this verse, this verse affirms everything that you're going through, awesome. Continue to dig deeper. 
But maybe you're sitting there and you're like one of those guys who are like, you know, no, I am actually not that hungry for God if I'm honest with myself. I want God, but I don't know if I'm hungry for God. Uh, but I'm hungry enough to tune into this YouTube channel, you know, which is good. Uh, well, can I give you two suggestions on how you can live this verse out and how you can solve that problem in your life? Here's the first one. Uh, hunger is cultivated. Hunger can be cultivated. Did you ever notice that when you're full and you've, and you're totally, you've eaten a lot and your stomach is full, you notice how you, you're not really hungry for anything else? But if you haven't eaten for like a day or a day and a half and you're totally starving, just about anything will taste good and you'll be, you know, you'll be hungry for just about anything. The same goes for the spiritual life. It really does. So if you're not hungry for God right now, the question that you need to ask yourself is what are you full of? You know, what are you filled with so much that you're not hungry for God today. And here's a question that might help you answer that question. Here's the question. If you could have anything in your life right now, what would it be? If you could have anything in your life right now, what do you want? What would that be? And the answer to that question might reveal what you're truly hungry for and what you're really filled with, right? Some of us, we want a bigger house, a different job, more success in our current one, a better partner. We want to travel the world. We want another pair of sneakers, you know, or, you know, we want to become more popular. No matter how you may have answered it, what you need to realize is that your desires and your affections for those things fill your heart. They fill your spirit and they cause you not to want God in your life. And if that's what's happening, then we need to empty ourselves from those things. And we need to repent for loving those things more than God. And that's the reason why so many people fast in this world. One of the greatest reasons to fast is simply to cultivate a hunger for God. That's why fasting is so important. We fast so that our heart for God can be cultivated by starving ourselves from those other things that are just filling ourselves up. And that's good. And I think maybe a lot of us need to start fasting. If that's you, let's start fasting, like for real. You know, cut those things out so that we can create a space for God and a hunger for God within our lives. Let's cultivate a hunger for God. Secondly, and this is the, the last way, just go after God. You know, just go after him as hard as you can. You know, read your word, begin praying, commit yourself to just living for God in whatever way you've been taught in the past by your pastor or your friends, and just start living for God. You know, I think a lot of believers, we make this mistake thinking, you know, I can only live for God if I'm passionate for him, or I'm only going to start living for God if I'm, like, motivated to. But the thing is, God doesn't work like that all the time. You know, a lot of believers make the mistake, and it's just not true. You know, uh, when I was in high school, I used to love tennis. I used to, you know, uh, but now I totally hate it. It's like one of the worst sports that it just, I'm, it makes no sense. You're hitting the ball back and forth and it's like hot and you're out there and you're running back. You have to fetch your own balls. It's the worst sport in the world. Anyway, and it just proves to you how bad you are all the time there because I'm not that good. Anyways, the thing is, but uh, if you ever ask me to play tennis with you, I will undoubtedly say no. But if by some miracle you get me on the court to play tennis with you, after just a few hits, I will transform into John McEnroe. If you don't know who John McEnroe is, uh, Google it. Or, you know, or I'll turn into Roger Federer. I'm not as good as he is. But all I'm saying is, after a few hits, all of a sudden, the passion for that sport will come back. And I will do everything I can to win. You know, that's, that's what happens. You know, a lot of times passion comes back as you simply do those things that you used to once love doing. Jesus spoke to a church in the book of Revelation and he said, hey, you guys lost your first love, but if you want to get it back, 
Start doing the things that you used to do. Because as you start doing those things that you used to do, your passion for God will come back. And so um, if you're serious about being blessed in your life, but maybe you don't have a heart for God, start living your life for God, even though your heart might not be there, with the faith that God will, once again, reignite that passion within you that you once had for him, right? Just do it to steal a line from Nike. Anyway, you know, God is looking for people who are so hungry and so thirsty to live for him and his will that when he finds that person, he's going to satisfy that person way beyond measure. And then he's going to go on to use them in ways that they never could have imagined to transform the world. All of us here, we were designed to be continually, perpetually satisfied by Christ alone. And when we are, that's when we are truly going to eternally impact this world for him. That's what meek people do. That's why I truly believe that the world changers aren't in the hands, you know, of those people that we talked about last week, the skilled, the knowledgeable, or the religious, or the powerful. God says in this verse, that the world changers are in the hands of the hungry. And if there's one thing that I can beg you to be this week, let's be hungry to live out his will within our lives. Let's pray.